and welcome to She's the Boss Chats. I'm your host, Jules Brooke, and in the show, I interview amazing women and female founders about what it is that they're doing and why they're doing it. It's all about us lifting up the women around us. I'm extremely excited with, to have my guest today, Dr. Olivia Ong. Olivia, welcome. Thank you, Jules. Thanks for, thanks for having me. Oh, my absolute pleasure. Now, you and I have been working together a bit, so I've heard your story, but I cannot wait to share it with everyone else. So do you want to tell everybody what it is that you do? Yes, uh, I'm, a, I'm Dr. Olivia Ong. I'm the founder and CEO of DrOliviaLeeOng.com the heart-centered doctor. I'm also a pain physician here in Melbourne, Australia. In my particular business, I'm a medical leadership coach. I help busy, high-achieving heart-centered doctors avoid burnout and exhaustion and also to help them achieve balanced energy and time flexibility through my Life Transformation for Doctors program, which is essentially a one-on-one and group coaching program. Right. And I'm a speaker as well, so I do workshops and speaking engagements on self-compassion and burnout recovery in doctors so that they can stay in the game longer as as compassionate leaders and leave a positive legacy for upcoming generation of young doctors. Oh, that sounds amazing. Okay, so... um, now, there is a very good reason as to what, well, there's a good reason as to why you're talking about burnout mm. and compassion. Mm. Um, I don't know whether we should reveal it now or tell your story. So um, to actually, no, bugger it, go on, tell everyone now mm. what it is that happened to you and then we'll go back and I want to hear all about, you know, how you've got to where you are now. But tell everyone sure. first. Yes. Interestingly, it took a traumatic spinal cord injury in 2008 to transform my life. You might find that wow. a bit strange. No. <laughs> it, the ex- exactly. The experience, when I look back now, it was a radical awakening to my soul. So prior right. to my prior to my injury, I was pretty overworked and overwhelmed, like many doctors are in Australia and around the world. Yeah. I was actually on the verge of burnout at that time and in dire need of change. Um, at that time I remember feeling quite emotionally, physically exhausted, feeling very stuck and trapped. And just feeling quite invisible in my suffering and isolated. And this is all pre-COVID as well, isn't it? I mean, doctors now are are Mm. working twice as many hours, if that's even possible. So, yeah, okay, go on. (laughs) Sorry. It's okay. So, when into as I said, in 2008, I had a spinal cord injury. How did it all happen? I was walking to work and I was hit by a car at high speed, 60 kilometers per hour. Oh, my God. Hmm. And the impact rendered me a paraplegic. I was paralyzed from the waist down. And oh, I was told Olivia. that I'll never be able to walk again. Mm. And boy, oh boy, have you proved them wrong. <laughs> That's right. I didn't want to take no for an answer. I wanted to desperately walk again. And rightfully yeah. so. Yeah. I, and I was resilient. I just never gave up that hope. Um, and I can, and any anyone who's been through a traumatic event can probably relate to to that, that they just want to overcome it and just against Get all odds. Get back to the life as, yeah, back to yes. life as normal. Exactly. And uh, what ended up happening one night was that I had this intuitive awareness that I needed to go to this place called Project Walk, mm-hmm. a Center for Spinal Cord Injury Recovery in San Diego. And how did you find out about it? I mean, was it something that you just read in the newspaper or in a medical journal? 
No, um, interestingly, spinal cord injury survivors, we tend to kind of talk to each other a lot. Right. I guess for us, we were cut, we were bound together by a common denominator, which is the spinal cord injury. Mm-hmm. And I made quite a number of friends when I was a patient in right. the spinal in the spinal ward, uh, tr- trying to rehabilitate my life back again. Yeah. In, in adjusting to a wheelchair, and I met fellow spinal cord injury survivors, and they talk a lot about Project Walk. But okay. bearing in mind that it's all the way in the United States and it's yeah. very expensive. So, um, and at that time, I was, I guess I was quite skeptical and I didn't know whether it would work because yeah. as a doctor, you're a doctor, I'll be, exactly. <laughs> right. be like, how on earth are they going to make me walk again? Yeah. And then as I go, as I went through physical therapy here in Melbourne, um, pretty much the re- rehabilitative process was not very good, to be honest. I, right. if, it felt like they made me uh, feel as if I should just resign, uh, resign uh, to yeah, my resign life. yourself to the uh, fact that you were going to be in a wheelchair and that was exactly it. yeah. And then right. and then so be it. Just learn to live in a wheelchair. And I was like, heck, I'm not going to do that. No. And yeah, so I packed up my bags one day. So I, I, this time, two years later, after I first heard about Project Walk, I was I remember lying in bed and. You know, my husband was sound asleep and I was just awake. I don't know why I was awake that night, but my intuition was really strong. It was actually seeping into my awareness, telling me to just pack up my bags, tell your boss that you'll be going away for two years and just right. head off to San Diego. And that's what I did. Told the and boss. So, yeah. so what made you think it would work when you're a doctor and you knew that your spinal cord presumably had been severed or damaged mm. in some way? Have you Have you heard about other people that had learned to walk in the similar situation or, or what made you have the faith that it would work? Yeah. Interestingly, I was reading a lot of blogs and yeah. YouTube videos of people with spinal cord injuries who went to project walk and they learned to walk again. Right. So I guess a part of my mind was going, I didn't give myself a chance to actually do this. Like um, I really do not want to have a, be to have my life stuck in a wheelchair. Right. I really thought, told myself I really have to give this a goal, a good goal. Yeah. And, and I told this uh, about this to my husband. He agreed and he he agreed to support me. And we traveled Amazing. all the way there for two years. We stayed there. <laughs> that is just such a long time. Yeah. Um, and as you said, expensive, but it, it, it's kind of amazing to me that it's not in Australia, that we don't have anything that's really good therapy here. I mean, did that sort of surprise you? Yeah, that, at that point in time, it, it really did surprise me. But interestingly, after I, f- I finished up at Project mm-hmm. One, which is around 2012, mm-hmm. a group of trainers from Australia actually came to train under them. Oh, good. So, yeah, they were funded by Spinal Cord Injury Australia, SCIA, mm-hmm. which is a nonprofit organization in New South Wales. And they've set up a few rehabilitation centers which follow the principles of Project Walk in Australia. So that was really oh, good. quite interesting. Yeah, they did. Um, I actually attended the, the, the program, walk-on program in Melbourne for a couple of years before I went back to full-time work and I couldn't have the time anymore. <laughs> right. Yeah. Okay, so um, hopefully everybody has, is getting an impression of what an incredible woman you are. But uh, one of the things that I really love in, in these interviews is to take you back to when you were a girl, and just give people an idea about how your career has unfolded. And obviously it's now moving in a quite mm. interesting new direction. But can you take me back to when you were a little girl? I mean, did you grow up in Australia and was it a big family? 
No, I grew up in Singapore. All right. I, yeah, I spent actually my early years. I was in Indo- in Jakarta, Indonesia, with my parents. So right. my dad was working as a banker in okay. Jakarta. So I spent seven years of my life in Jakarta. Yeah. Um, and then my dad decided to change his career path, and we migrated to Singapore in 1987. So. Right. My family and my two, including my, myself and my two younger brothers, we all moved to Singapore. And that's essentially where I spent my childhood and adolescent right. years. Yeah. Did you love it there? Yeah, absolutely. Singapore was a, a place that I call home and I still call it home. Still do. Yeah. Yeah, still do. It, it gets very, when I hear the national anthem, I get quite emotional. Oh, and all oh, that. Oh. <laughs> yeah, because, you know, I grew up there and yeah. I grew up, um, you know, the culture there, it's beautiful and everyone's very closely united right. and people from different races get along really well, multiracially. And we, we, we do, we're a very culturally diverse nation and yeah. Um, right. So, yeah. so you grew up there. Did you go to uni there? Did you finish school there? No, I actually, I actually went to university in Australia. So why so, Australia though? What was the pull to Australia? Yeah, it was quite interesting because um, I was given some choices, the UK and Glasgow, too cold. <laughs> and, then, and, and an accent is really hard to understand. <laughs> exactly. And then, um, and then the U and I got an offer in Michigan, Michigan. Mm-hmm. And that was again, too far. US is just really far. And I wanted to be geographically not too far from my parents. Right. And also have, and I have family in Melbourne. Like my grandparents were living in ah. Melbourne at the time. My cousins grew up in Melbourne. So I thought to myself that obviously the best choice was to go to Melbourne to study yep. my medical uh, studies. And that's what so, I did. So what was that like arriving as a young woman with, you know, a few bits of family, but I imagine quite a different culture. How was that for you to start uni? And, and I mean, did you live in at uni? Uh, not really, but I live close to uni- the uni. Right. Um, I, where Melbourne, I went to Melbourne University and Ligon mm-hmm. Street was really close to Melbourne yeah. University. And I really enjoyed that life. Um, I guess in, in Singapore, I grew, I was, I stayed with my parents and they kind of, you know, controlled my, you know, freedom a little bit. Yeah. But, but when I entered university, I was here on my own and I was like, boy, I'm actually on my, I have freedom. Did and you I go had, a bit wild? Well, let's say, yes, I did. <laughs> I, I made lots of friends and I, they took me clubbing and lots of interesting things. Oh, Carol, yeah, great karaoke, clubbing, nighttime suppers. Yeah, I think the uni- university life, I really enjoyed it. That, that was probably the best years of my life. Oh, wow. Yeah, what, I think that too. And now my son has done first year uni in lockdown. Oh, <laughs> just, no. That will, he keeps that going, will. it's fine, mum. And I'm like, you don't know what you're missing. <laughs> oh, yeah, he, he doesn't. It's totally, I think university life is about connections and socialising. Yeah, it yeah it's, it's the relationships that help me thrive in university. Okay, so um, how long is a medical degree? Isn't it six years? Yeah, it's about six years. Right. So, what did you do um, after that? I don't know. I don't know the time frame to the accident. So, just take me on the on this journey and tell sure, me how it all sure. unfolded. So, I graduated from the University of Melbourne in two thousand and four, mm-hmm. and I, I started my internship in Ballarat Base Hospital in two thousand and five. And I really right. love Ballarat because I never experienced what a country life is. It, it was great. Like. Okay. You know, I might put on 10 kilos because the food was really good in Ballarat. <laughs> <laughs> had, you met your, had you met your husband by then? Were you, were, were you with someone or were you up there on your own? 
I was up there on my own and I met my husband four months into my internship, but I didn't oh. meet him in Ballarat. I met him in, in Melbourne. In a, okay. so I went, I started going to a new church. I'm a Christian. Right. And then my husband happened to be there and then we became friends initially. And then after that, yeah, he became my boyfriend. <laughs> right. And later to be husband and father of your children. That's so, right. Um, so how long did you stay in Ballarat? I stayed there for a year. And then when I finished up my internship in Ballarat, I moved back to to Melbourne, and mm-hmm. I started work in Monash Health, which is a tertiary hospital in, in Melbourne. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, I'm still working there at the moment. And, I've and been what, there for many years. What was your, did you want to become a specialist at that stage? At that, at that stage, when I was a resident in Monash, mm-hmm. not yet, although I had plans to be, to be a physician, I, I wasn't sure what my specialty was. Right. And then eventually... Late 2007, I decided that I wanted to do rehabilitation medicine. No. Yeah, I know. Because this is the time that 2008 is when the accident happened. Exactly. And people always ask, did you go into rehab medicine because (laughs) you had an injury? I said, no, no, I was already doing the training program at that time. And then I had my accident. So what actually happened with the accident? I think you said to Mm. me you were walking across a car park. Exactly. I was walking across a hospital car park. Where on your way home, home from work or to work? To work, and then right. I was hit. I was hit by a car uh, at um, high speed. What was yeah. he doing with that that speed in the car park? Well, apparently the person who was driving the car had severe dementia. He wasn't allowed oh, to drive. Oh gosh! Yeah, he was in his nineties too, so obviously he shouldn't be on the road. No, shouldn't have been on the road. And what? Mm. And 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 it's just such a massive um, injury as well. So. Um, I don't know what to ask from here, so you're going to have to give me a bit of guidance. But um, so what happens when you, I mean, were you conscious when the accident happened? Mm. So when the accident happened, I, I was definitely conscious because I, I actually checked, did a doctor inventory, like head oh to God, toe. You? Yeah, I know. I was like, well, okay, I was still, I, I was awake. Then I thank God that I was still alive because I knew yeah. who I wasn't, I was still alive because I could still see and hear things. Yeah. And then I realized, and I, I started moving my arms and I went, oh yeah, I can move my arms. That means I'm not quadriplegic. But then I realized I couldn't move my legs. Oh my God. And I couldn't feel it either. That was when I, my brain knew something bad has happened. Right. Mm. So, so you go into the hospital, you're, mm. the hospital where you are one of the rehab experts. Yeah. And what, I mean, I just, my dad was a doctor and I, I know that mm. it's a very close community. So you must have had lots and lots of shocked colleagues around you. Yeah. Actually, my accident was witnessed by two colleagues. Oh. And then there was actually a code blue call because it was in a hospital car park and it, right. a code blue was actually called. Right. And I didn't realize the code blue was for myself because I saw like what doctors is code rushing, blue? Sorry, which means me. that um, someone stops breathing and oh, yeah. okay. in the car park or somewhere else outside the hospital or someone could have arrested like just in cut, like, you know, their heart okay. stopped beating. Yeah. Yeah. And then the doctors in the hospital will have to come out and help. And there were 20 doctors coming out. So I was like, I had plenty of medical help. That's for sure. Mm. Right. So you go into the hospital, you you spent, how long did you say you were doing that rehab for two years before you decided to go to Project Walk? Yeah. So I was in the acute hospital um, mm-hmm. for about, how long was I there for? For about a month then yeah. in, in rehabilitation for another four months. And and was there pain as well at that stage? Could you, was it very painful or is it all numb and so you couldn't feel anything? Strangely, even though I couldn't, 
but I, I believe the surgery actually did save me. It was right. quite interesting in the whole experience because when I went, I ended up in, in one of the major tertiary hospitals in Melbourne, the tra- major trauma center, right. which, um, and it so happened there was an excellent spinal surgeon on call that day who oh. operated on me immediately. You had and the she, universe watching out for you in a lot of ways. Exactly. And then she was a female spinal surgeon. So she was re- and she was really good at what she does. Yeah. And she saved my back, basically. She's <laughs> and I was when I woke up from the operation, I could feel my legs. Well, that was good. So something's oh. happened. I could feel my legs, but I couldn't move my right leg. Right. And I could move my left leg a little bit. And I was going, Oh gosh, this is pretty severe spinal cord injury. And and obviously I was scared. I was really scared. Yeah. Then then I thought I I thought to myself, if I'm I'm a doctor and I'm scared, let alone people who are not medical yes, no or healthcare. Idea. And then they're just so scared. Like, yeah. And then the nights were really quite, I guess, quite shocking, actually. Like I'll be, I couldn't sleep because there'll be like people crying next door. People couldn't breathe. And there were a lot oh, of very unwell patients God. around me. Right. And, uh, and I got to experience firsthand what it was like to be a patient on the other side of the healthcare system. And I really feel for them like, no, no wonder my patients, you know, like they, ha- they come in and they're so, you know, they, they look like they've suffered a lot. And now I know what suffering they that have. They have yeah. yeah. I mean, it's not anything that you would wish on anyone, but as a doctor, it's fantastic that you, in some ways that mm. you do now have that empathy. Yes. Um, uh, because there's a lot of, I mean, you know, we could all talk about doctors forever, but there's a lot of people who enter into medicine because they got good marks mm. and, and not for any love of people or any love of being able to heal. And so it's great mm. when you have doctors that actually are able to empathize, empathize I think. Yeah. All right. So um, now tell me a little bit more about Project Walk. What was it like? What did you have to do there? Well, Project Walk was really called Project Walk for what it's, it's called. Um, they may- <laughs> I, I this you know I chose the intensive program. So what I ended up doing was Monday to Friday I will work out five hours each day. Oh my goodness! Morning three hours, afternoon two hours, sometimes even three hours. So it was just like a boot camp. It was a two year long boot camp for me wow. to get back to walking. And I told myself I am determined to walk again. I will not let anything stop my way. And along the way. I've met some good friends, uh, you know, made some good friends. I bet. I yeah. bet going through that, there's a be a strong bond. Exactly. And because of the fact I stayed in San Diego, I was ex- exposed to American culture and my American friendships just made me feel so welcome. Yeah. Taught me all about football, Thanksgiving, or they, <laughs> they do good, good Thanksgiving dinners and things. Yeah, I was just so immersed in the culture and I really enjoyed my time in America, even though... There were days that was very long and tiring. I'm I loved, sure. I loved it. I traveled. We traveled around the United States. We went oh, to yeah, Vegas. Right. We went to Vegas, New York City. Wow. Well, L- LA is not very far from San Diego, so we go there a fair bit. Um, Orange County. Yeah, we went to heaps of places. Even wow. up to Can. We went. We even traveled up to Canada because obviously Canada is not far from America. So, yeah. And, but no urge to stay there. Or was no. it back to the family still in Singapore? Want to come home to Australia? Yeah, I just wanted to, I wanted to prove to myself that I can do what I was meant to, because I really wanted to go back to my work as a doctor. Right. And prove to myself that I can do what I used to be able to do. You're so extraordinary. (laughs) I mean, a lot of people would have gone, okay, different career or whatever, but it's just so brilliant that you've gone back. So um, talk to me a little bit now about the burnout and the 
what you're doing in terms of helping doctors with that because I think that's really fascinating mm. as a sort of a side because you're still doing rehab, rehab stuff as well, aren't you? Yeah, that's right. So how I came about in setting up my business was because of, of this experience I had mm-hmm. with my spinal cord injury. And I experienced burnout myself in probably it was slow growth. It was, it was, you know, it was. This is after you've come back? I've, after I've come back, I went back to the. You just to went the, too hard. Yeah, I did. I went back to full-time work pretty much a year after I came back. So I started right. part-time work for a year, then transitioned to full-time work and I had exams. And then I became a qualified rehab physician, but I was, I was exhausted. Then I had yeah, my bet. son, Joe, I had my son, Joe. Then I, that exhausted me again. <laughs> yes. and, and then I, sub, I subspecialized again in pain medicine. And then I had like more exams. And by the time oh I'm gosh. done with everything, I was burnt out. And, but I was just choosing to ignore it, going, yeah, I can just push through. I'm strong. I'm superwoman. I, I can overcome a spinal cord injury walk again. Why can't I just overcome burnout? And oh, my God, Olivia. I know, you are, you're so tough on yourself. And and just to mm. let people know, you're not mm. actually walking easily now. It's still a bit of a struggle for you, isn't it? I haven't actually met you in person, but yes. um, I think you said that you use sticks. Exactly. So, I'll, I'll, so I'll, it's not easy. That's an extra thing on top of everything else that you've had taken on. Absolutely. So I, I walk with a limp yep. and I have to use canes to balance myself and to walk. So that okay. takes a lot of mental and physical energy. Yeah. On top of a very busy uh, medical work, and also motherhood is very busy. I was going to say, and then you've got kids, and <laughs> yes. then you've got everything else. Okay, yeah. so so you can feel that you're absolutely exhausted. What happened then? Yeah, I burnt out spectacularly in, two, in 2019. <laughs> I don't. Is there such burnout. a thing? <laughs> well, yeah, I just couldn't get out of bed one day. Oh gosh, I just couldn't get out of bed, and I took two months off work, and. Even though I went back to work two months later, physically I felt fine. But I feel that burnout has caused more of a deep wounding. Like one of my mentors um, taught me it's more like we are the walking wounded. The physicians, doctors are actually walking wounded people, even Mm. though they perceive themselves to be strong, lone rangers. But yeah, they push really, you're pushed beyond a lot of human endurance, I think, really, with the work that you do, but also emotionally. Mm. You know, saving mm. people is great, but you can't save everyone and there's all those sorts of things as well. Mm. So it's it's very, very stressful. So you couldn't get out of bed. What happened then? I took it upon myself to, I guess, see my GP and mm-hmm. find out whether there was anything going on because I have a spinal cord injury. I have to check out whether it's, is that because the condition's getting worse and it's right. not, it's, it's actually burnouts. And that's what my, my, GP's, my GP did all the tests and I was Actually, from an injury perspective, I was fine. And she just told me to yeah, take some time off from work and recuperate. Yeah, and physically I recuperated, but not mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. I felt something was still missing. You know, like, yeah. Yeah. And then until the pandemic happened, which you might it might be interesting, like why would the pandemic will will show me something? It did. It was I saw a silver lining in, in the pandemic because it gave me time to slow down. Yeah, and and I didn't have to travel to work, and that meant that I had more time to focus on my personal development, and that's what I did. I, I was so, how do you how do you say um, like I just realized that oh my gosh, I've been neglecting my personal growth for so long. Like, yes, yes, it mm. was all that external trying to achieve stuff and yes, not looking yeah. internally. 
And so how did you heal yourself and how do you suggest or how do you work with other doctors to help them now? Mm. So I got, I got a coach and she helped me through, I get my, in overcoming my limiting beliefs, changing mm-hmm. my mindset. But a very important tool that I discovered for myself was self-compassion. And, I found and now you've got a theory around that because there's three parts mm. to it, aren't there? Go on, explain it a bit more because yeah, I love sure. this. Yeah, I, I just I call it the three pillars of self-compassion. Mm-hmm. First, first pillar is mindfulness, which means that you're present in that very moment, not on autopilot, which we all do. We tend or to just ahead all the time. Yeah, that, what am I going to exactly, do for dinner? What am I going to do? Yeah, whatever? exactly. And then ignoring what's happening around you, mm-hmm. and then connection, where you know it's relationships with other people. That's that's the bit that you know. But sometimes important. gets interrupt, like gets disrupted by burnout. And the last pillar is acceptance, or otherwise known as forgiveness. That, that's probably the hardest pillar for a lot of people: self acceptance and just accepting of our own imperfections, forgiving ourselves, and then moving forward. That's probably the hardest bit. And I experienced that myself. That was really hard. <laughs> considering that I've been programmed as a lone ranger for many, many years to not seek help yeah. and be yeah. independent. Yeah. It was big, big um, revelation for me. And I realized that when I practice self-compassion, then I can become compassionate to others because if my cup is empty, how am I going to get, there's nothing to give. Yeah, and self-compassion right. helps to fill that cup. And, and usually I, I tell, I guess my clients or my patients <laughs> and I'm both, Actually, when they're stressed or feeling quite overwhelmed, just to put their their hand on their heart and take three deep breaths, that's like a very soothing. uh, It just activates our soothing system. It's like hugging a baby, you know. Oh, that's a great thing (laughs) to know. Yeah, yeah. And I tell them to do that, and then they just calm down quite quickly. Yeah, it's quite amazing how such a simple exercise that takes only ten seconds can actually change someone's can probably save someone's life and can save someone's marriage and, you know, like relationships. Yeah. I mean, I I think I mentioned to you, but Mm. I have now interviewed well over a hundred women, very successful. And the number of them, and I reckon it's at least 20% that have been burnt out to the extent that they've wrecked their Mm. adrenal system or their immune system and and like for the rest of their lives. Yeah. So, I mean, I had until I started interviewing these people, I don't think I ever had any idea of how full on the mm. um, the symptoms could be and, and how it could affect you forever. So you're lucky you caught yourself, really. Mm. And I did, yeah. And I think getting coached actually helped. And that's prob- that's why I decided to be, to be certified as a life coach, to help right. my fellow doctors recover from burnout. I want, I want them to thrive because if I could do it, so can they. Yeah. They just they just need to know that they can do it and they deserve better, you know. Like, uh, so how are you going to juggle? I mean, one of the questions I normally ask is how do you juggle life and work? Mm. I'm interested to know how are you going to juggle work and work because you have yeah. this career as a speaker and talking around burnout, you're also still a doctor, you're about yeah. to be an author. How are yes. you going to juggle it all and not burn out? Mm. That's a very good point, Jules, because <laughs> I nearly burnt out when I started my online business. I bet. Yeah. <laughs> you seem I, very driven. So yeah. I can imagine you're always <laughs> pushing yourself. <laughs> yeah, I didn't realize there's so many aspects to running an online business and how much entrepreneurs have to do and how much risk has to be involved. Mm. Setting up systems and processes. That was like me being an intern again in the hospital, learning all the ropes. 
I yeah, was right. just like, yeah, like from different, I guess, soft bookkeeping softwares to um, email campaigns and lots yeah, of yeah, te- marketing. Tech yeah. Marketing is a massive thing just when it's in itself. Yeah. You know, there's so many women, I think, that set up businesses, put Mm. a lot of money into the setting up and go, right, I'm here, that whole thing of, you know, build it and they will come, and then it's crickets, then nothing happens, and they're like, hang on. And you realise that there's a massive component, which is all the marketing and trying to let people know about it. Mm. Yeah, and I had to learn that the the hard way, like, I didn't know which direction to go, but I learned that, wow, branding and marketing was so essential, like, to any business. So I had a few like, aha moments along the way, like, oh, yeah, branding marketing is obviously the pivot, the foundation of any business. And then having a structure to a business, mm. it's so vital. And I guess for my my main challenge was having a doctor identity and entrepreneur identity are very two separate identities. Yes, they are. How, do you, yeah. how that's, that's, I guess, was my question. How are you going to bring it all together and not kill yourself in the process with stress? Yeah, I, I've learned to compartmentalize and wear different hats as okay. I do each, each role. So when I'm at the, when I'm doing my doctor work, I wear my doctor's hat. Okay. And then when I'm doing my, when I'm working on my online business and writing my book or coaching my clients, I wear my entrepreneur hat or coach hat or whatever. <laughs> also right. hat. And then yeah. what's left for family and for yourself? Yeah. Well, so when I spend time with my family, I wear my mommy hat. Okay. So Yeah. And then when I'm with my husband, I wear my wife hat. So And do, and do you allocate time specifically to these kind of t- Do you say, right, weekends are just about family? Oh, yeah. You know, six till eight, that, which I always used to call hell time with my kids. Oh, yes. But that time of feeding it's still them hell time. tired and <laughs> It's still hell time in my, t- <laughs> in, in my household. <laughs> and, um, yeah, so ever since I've – I think for me, I found that the right balance will be – Weekends is definitely for the kids. So I don't do mm-hmm. any medical work or creative business work in, on weekends. And six to eight, which is the witching hour for most parents, mm-hmm. um, for kids, kids who are young with young kids, yeah. six to eight, I dedicate it to them. But somehow I'm managing quite all right now. Like I do two days of work in my creative business and three yeah. days in clinical okay. medicine. And it's a good balance because medicine is more hustle or yang energy. And then... The creative business is more like flow and it balances each other out. More and yin. I was oh yeah, more yin. And yeah, I was like, I'm pretty happy where I am now. Oh, but well it, took, done. It, it took a lot of tweaking though, and a lot of lessons learned along the way. Yeah, like, I'm sure. Mm. So um talk to me then about um I'm trying to think because I haven't brought my podcast questions with me. Any women that have helped you along the way. So one of the things that I really love because that's what She's the Boss is all about is shining yes. the light on women. And yeah. I thought if there are, uh, and I'm sure you mentioned that there was somebody who was amazing. Mm. I don't know whether it was your doctor anyway, you can tell us. But any women that you want to sort of name and tell us about how awesome they are, how yeah, they I helped want, you? I wanted to um, sh- give a shout out to two um, female entrepreneurs, Jane yeah. Turner, my book coach and publisher, Okay. She made sure that I, f- I was supported throughout the writing of the book process because it's so vulnerable and raw. Yeah, writing right. about my spinal cord injury and my experience as a patient—it's yeah, it can be at times very painful, like no pun intended, but really painful. No, but reliving that yeah. whole thing—I mm, mean, it, it makes me feel a bit bad asking you here, but no. you're gonna—you're about to do a whole lot more publicity, so I yeah, guess that's, yeah. practice makes perfect. 
exactly. And now, obviously, I'm ready to be visible because yeah. I remember after my injury, I was so ashamed of my injury. I wasn't sure why, but I just felt I, I just wanted to be invisible and just hide because of yeah, because of the shame that comes with the injury. Was there was it any of it that you got fed up with the sort of sympathy from people? I know that when I talked to Lisa Cox, who's one of the She's the Boss members in a wheelchair, mm. she said it's the kind of patronizing attitude that she found finds really hard and that people kind of think that if they've got to stoop down to talk to you face to face that somehow there's something mentally wrong with you as well. Exactly. Um I Totally agree what Lisa said. And <laughs> that's how I felt. I felt that people were patronizing and trying to yeah. saying things like, oh, you're such an inspiration. I'm like, yes, that's what she says. And, it's, and then stooping down to talk. Yes, that too. And yeah, and I, when I returned back to Melbourne to work um, again in 2012, mm. I had to use the wheelchairs on some occasions because I was I had an in- tired. Yeah, I was tired or I broke my leg at some one stage. You did in 20- not. In 2016, so I had to use the wheelchair. I know. I, apparently, oh, my God. Yeah. That would have been such an awful moment for you, that yeah. breaking that leg, I bet. Yeah, because um, I just finished. I think uh, at that time my son was only four months old and I, I just slipped oh. and, and I had a fall. <laughs> And apparently it was due to breastfeeding osteoporosis or something like that. And then I, that's how I broke my leg. And I had to be in this like brace for like another six months. And I had to use the wheelchair. Oh boy, but my boss made it, or my ex-boss now, made it so difficult for me to use the wheelchair. She was trying to make me go through all hoops, go through infectious disease team, go through HR. And I was like, come on, I just want to use a wheelchair. Yeah. Yeah. And when I, yeah, there's something when I, people think that using a wheelchair means that yeah, that like you're mentally, mentally yeah, yeah, yeah that was challenged, challenged, and then yeah, I felt I felt that, so I, I know what Lisa's going through because right. I was like, I'm pretty switched on up here, even though I'm in a wheelchair. <laughs> yeah, then yeah, and I was, and I did my job perfectly fine, wheelchair or not, I did it right. perfectly yes, fine. Of course, your your bo- the the woman who was doing that doesn't sound particularly nice, so we won't name <laughs> her. Yeah, but so Jane have helped you as your book coach. Have you yeah. had any other amazing women? Yeah, um, a photographer. The photographer um, from Sydney, Melinda Heard. Oh, that you Melinda know? Heard. Yeah. I do. I love her. She's great. She's, she was she was good. She she helped me so much in gaining my confidence because I was oh, like, good. oh, yeah, and just being so sure of my my story and my brand with the photo shoot. She just changed the way I see myself. Wow, that is yeah. that is huge, yeah. Olivia. Yeah. So these two women, kudos, and I think. I, this Jane and Melinda will be in New South Wales with me because they're both, I think, in Sydney and I'm doing an author showcase in right. October uh, to just showcase my book and they will be there too. So I look forward to meeting them again in Sydney. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Mm. Okay, so you've had these great women um, help mm. you along the way. Have there been, I think it's probably a bit early, but I'm going to ask you anyway, <laughs> have there been any kind of pivotal moments or challenges in the setting up of your business outside mm. of the medical one that, that you know, that you've learned something from that you could share with us? Mm. I felt that setting in setting up a, a business, it's like a personal development journey. But, yeah. I, but I was challenged. My identity as entrepreneur was challenged because I kept bringing my medical programming in there. Which is almost the exact opposite, opposite. of an entrepreneur. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because medical, like we need certainty. and That's right, certainty and no ideas, yes. no create. Well, I guess there's a bit of creativity, yeah. but. Mainly, it's like follow the rules. Exactly, and with a, I guess, an entrepreneur, you you have to accept that there is uncertainty in the business, and mm-hmm. you don't have to try to figure out the how. 
it will just happen when it's meant to happen. You know, like it's, I had to let go of that. That was so difficult. <laughs> I bet. And then the other challenge, which was very similar to my medical business, it was self-compassion. I had to implement that in my, as an entrepreneur, because that's, I felt that, that I wasn't doing that again. I like, think that's, that's really, really good advice mm. for anyone listening, because mm. you do tend to beat yourself up if you don't get, you know, an amazingly huge business straight away or, you know, you mm. build your store and no one comes or whatever it might be. Yeah. And um, and you just have to build that resilience and that de- and keep going on that determination path, I think. Yeah, and I think what really made a difference for me was stick, like remembering my why, yeah. why I set up the business. And, you know, like Simon Sinek who talks in his TED Talk, he talks about his why and the yeah. why. Yeah. And pe- people follow the why behind our business, not the what. So that's yes. when I listen to Simon's TED Talk, it's like, it always makes a lot of sense. And my why was in my own business was to ensure that doctors have a safe space. Like my, there's also se- several arms to my business. I, I'm writing a book to help doctors utilize self-compassion and lots of other mm-hmm. heart-based tools to help them overcome burnout. My coaching business is to help my my clients who are also fellow doctors and now I have medical students too to help them through burnout. So medical students get burnout too. Um, right. Yeah. And then ah, the- So you're working with people who've already burnt out as opposed to preventing them at, in that particular aspect of the Well, most, most of my work. clients are people who are close to burning out. Okay. So people who are burnt out, I usually encourage them not to see me because they're not in the right hate space yeah. yet. They need to actually get medical help and psychological help. Yeah, psychological and medical help first. Because sometimes it might, burnout has lots of layers and if they've reached burnout, more often than not, they will have had mental health issues as well, like anxiety, stress, depression, which is a stigma, again, Mm -hmm. in medicine. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, I've had to, I hear about suicides as well. And that was the main reason why I set up my business because that's it. I just can't keep listening to all these stories of young doctors killing themselves because of burnout and, and and things like and mental health issues related in related to burnouts so i told myself if my business can help one person find hope solace in knowing that they have they can recover from it from burnout and yeah. they they shouldn't lose hope that i'm happy you know even one person but i'm with sure you i'm sure you'll be but, helping a lot more than yes. one and you probably already have yes i am yeah. um so Wow, I don't want to tell you you're an inspirational woman because I know probably everyone said that when you were in the wheelchair and patted on your head, but you are. Um, talk to me. Now we'll get to a little bit of fun stuff. I've got yes. a question I ask everyone, which you may or may not have an answer for, so it doesn't matter if you don't, but is there a quirky fact most people don't know about you that you'd be up for sharing? Yeah, except my husband um, and some close friends, they know this quirky fact. I have watched every single episode of MasterChef Australia since it debuted in 2009, every oh, single episode. And you watch it live on TV. Yeah, live on TV and my son now watches it with me. Oh, my God. You know, <laughs> I watched, I think when my sons were younger, I did too, but that was a long time ago. Yeah, that's so right. I watched that's... every single episode. Wow. Such big it's, fans. It, it yeah. is such an amazing show, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And, and then last but not least, questions about your phone. And it's uh, and this is purely me being selfish because I love <laughs> my phone for business and for pleasure. Yeah. Um, do you have any apps that you have used on your phone for business that you found really useful? And and I'm going to set aside email and, and banking. 
Have you got any other ones that you use? Yeah, that's one called Morphodoro, which is like essentially is the Pomodoro technique. Oh, and what's the Pomodoro technique? Pomodoro technique means that you focus on a task for 20 minutes straight, no interruptions, distractions. Oh. And it does that and then it will just make, and it will ring with, after 20 minutes, it will just ring. And then you have to take a break for five minutes. Then Pomodoro again, technique for another 20 right. minutes. So it's like a built-in, the app has a built-in timer. Like exactly right. 20 minutes, like 20 minutes. That's focus right. on the ta- Yeah, because we have, like their tasks, even like entrepreneurs have to do tasks that are um, very unpleasant. <laughs> like yes. it's, yeah, like taxes or like accounting yep. <laughs> and that kind of stuff. And you're like, do I really want to go there to it today? But when you do the pom, when you use the app, the pom, which uses the Pomodoro technique, you get stuff done and you need this as an entrepreneur. You need to get stuff done for your business you that day. Yeah, you do. Because one of the other things that I didn't know about being an entrepreneur <laughs> until my son was diagnosed is uh, we went in to see the pediatrician and she was yeah. talking about ADHD and she looked at me and said, so it's genetic. Who's got it? <laughs> I was like, really? I didn't know that. And then I looked at my three brothers who are all entrepreneurs and myself who've been running my own business and went, yep, maybe it's me. But, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Very interesting that way. Um, okay, Pomodoro, uh, that's what I was going to say because the m- whatever the app you're talking about is perfect for people who've got a short attention span exactly. to just make you concentrate for that period. Yeah, I know. And sometimes we, because we tend to, it just reduces procrastination. Yeah. I call I'll it productive. I'll just get on with it and do, do this one now and I'll, I'll think about what I'm going to do. Uh, exactly. I think entrepreneurs, we tend to have productive procrastination. Like there's this one task we really dislike and we start doing everything else except that task. Like, oh, maybe I should like start decluttering my inbox, which is important. Email <laughs> inbox. We should, oh, we should type out that um, blog post. Yeah, which is important, but you know, it's not like the top priority <laughs> for that day. And then you're like, ah. I think we kind of still need to do the taxes. <laughs> I know. I was going to say, I actually have, I think it's been three weeks now that my accountant said, can you urgently get me the end of tax statements for all these bank yeah. accounts? And I'm like, if I have to do it, I'm doing like two a day. Yeah, <laughs> I'm struggling. Actually, I might just try that 20-minute technique. I could probably knock it over in that. Yeah, the um, Pomodoro. Yeah. And then any other apps that you love? I, I love Insight Timer, and that's a really important part of business is meditation app okay inside timer is is free and has all the different types of meditations from stress relieving anxiety sleep lots of different uh mindfulness meditation teachers are all in it one of my mindfulness meditation teacher chibs or ricky is in it so i just listen to his right like meditations because that's the one I'm used to. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then what about games? I bet you don't do any games. I'm Not really. No, I used to. I used to have, have work, time. Yeah, I used to have worked with friends, but I stopped that. I don't know. That was oh. a long time ago. Maybe like almost ten years ago. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. No. Well, you've had a pretty full-on year yes. life since 2008. So I fully understand. Okay. So let's get down to the nitty-gritty. How can people? Now, let's assume that your book is out by the time this comes um, out. So let people know what the name of your book is and the best way to get hold of you. Mm. So the name of my book is The Heart-Centeredness of Medicine. Mm-hmm. So it, it will be published on the 10th of August and it will be mm-hmm. launched in September. So it's coming up in okay, actually great. in two months, two or three months time. So I'm really excited and looking forward to sharing my book with fellow medical doctors and people who are even non-medical so applicable as well yeah the the heart-centeredness of medicine it's essentially life in general and you can find this book or on my website which is 
DrOliviaLeong.com. And it's Lee, so it's Dr. Olivia L-E-E-O-N-G, isn't yeah. it? Yep. .com. There's free resources in there. And if anyone that you know um, who needs support, like medical doctors who need support, and I, I'm always available. I'm a, a phone call away. And they can reach me through my website easily. You're and, fantastic. Yeah. Honestly, Olivia, you are, I have no doubt at all that you are going to be able to do all the things that you are wanting to do and you'll end up being a big supporter of doctors who will all go, God, I, I need Dr. Olivia, <laughs> you know, when they do the burnout or that maybe the government will, or somebody, whoever it is, AMA, will change the way the doctors are, the pressure the doctors are put under. I just find when you hear about people doing 36 and 48-hour yeah. shifts and yeah. um, and and know the sorts of things they're dealing with, I don't even know how, how they cope. So yeah. this is very important what you're doing. So thank, thank you. you very, very much for sharing that with me. Thank you, Jules. Thank you for having me. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of She's the Boss Chats. For more information and to find out about our other initiatives, including our weekly lunch for female founders and our TV show, go to she'stheboss.com.au.